to our lives as well. And so would you join me in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the whole book for us. Or the whole book. (laughs) Surprise! I'll read the whole chapter for us. (laughs) The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well. For I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you... Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. For I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord. To deliver you. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need your help now as we come to words that are frightening, uh, words that in some ways are confusing and are strange to us because of their distance from us. And we ask this morning that your spirit would close that dif- that distance. We ask that your spirit would would clarify what is confusing and and more than that, that he would be powerfully at work as we receive these words and trust that they, even when they're hard to hear, that they are good gifts from you. 
Would you make us humble before your word? Would you open our lives to you and to your work? May we be transformed. May our faith be strengthened and increased. May our obedience be deepened. May our love grow as a result of our time this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In my opinion... One of the great characters of Saturday Night Live in the 2000s was Debbie Downer. You remember those sketches? Remember Debbie? She would go to all sorts of fun social situations, and she would always find the right thing to say to bring everybody down. Right? She'd go to a party. Everyone was laughing and talking and dancing, and and she'd bring up the epidemic of feline AIDS, the number one killer of domestic cats in America. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, can seem like the Debbie Downer of the Bible. Jeremiah speaks to us a message that is overwhelmingly negative. It is predominantly a message of judgment against God's people. This is a in sometimes a dark and disturbing message, a poetry of judgment that is shocking in its force. The ancient rabbi said of Jeremiah that he was born wailing and never stopped. (laughs) So why would we spend this time reflecting on the book of Jeremiah? Why is Jeremiah such a negative book? Why is it in the Bible? Why do you need the book of Jeremiah in your life? That's the question I want to ask this morning. And I want to bring it to this opening chapter. And in this opening chapter, God commissions Jeremiah. And as he does that, that, it is not just him telling Jeremiah what he's supposed to do, it's also him telling us why we need what Jeremiah was supposed to do. And so as we look at this chapter together, two reasons we need the book of Jeremiah, we need Debbie Downer in our lives. We need Jeremiah because of his vocation and because of God's vision. First of all, his vocation. Of course, we can tell from this chapter, God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. That is the role that he hands to him in his story. And we'll see that the role of prophet embraces all of Jeremiah's life. From what he wears, to his marital status, to his deepest emotions. But what is a prophet? What is the role of a prophet? Verse 5, prophet is one who has a unique relationship to God. God was intimately involved in the details of Jeremiah's life, even in utero. Before you were born, Jeremiah, in the womb, Jeremiah, I formed you, knew you, consecrated you, appointed you. 
Now this unique relationship to God was not for the ultimate purpose of making Jeremiah feel good about himself. You notice how Jeremiah actually reacts negatively to this message that comes to him. I knew you, I formed you, I consecrated you, I appointed you. Jeremiah says, whoa, 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 no way, man. (laughs) I'm too young for that. I am too ineloquent for that. Because Jeremiah knew that this unique relationship was for the purpose of words. God was so intimately engaged in Jeremiah's life because he wanted Jeremiah to speak for him. And so in response to Jeremiah's timidity, God reaches out and touches his mouth and says, I have put my words in your mouth. This scene echoes Moses with God at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. It echoes Isaiah and Ezekiel before the throne of God. The point being that when a prophet speaks, when a Moses, when an Isaiah, when a Jeremiah, when an Ezekiel, when a prophet talks, God talks. There is a close knitting so that they are indistinguishable between God's words and the prophet's words. And that's why we need Jeremiah. Because when he speaks, God speaks with all of the force of divine truth and authority. And when God speaks through his prophet. He doesn't just educate. He accomplishes. There are several comparisons in this text between the vocation of the prophet and other jobs. One of the most striking, I think, is the prophet as contractor. My youngest son would say the the prophet as a construction guy. He's Bob the Builder. Verse 10. God sets Jeremiah not just over Israel, but over all nations to do what? To tear down and to build. God gave Jeremiah the task of demolition and new construction. This room in which we sit right now wouldn't look the way it does without us taking down some walls and building others. That's the vocation of Jeremiah. His tools are the words from God. And he tears down. He deconstructs as he announces God's judgment on idolatry. That's this boiling pot that is about to pour out on God's people, the marching armies of Babylon, the judgment against God's people for forsaking him. For turning to other gods. But what does boiling water do? It doesn't just burn. It cleanses. It purifies. Jeremiah tears down so that new construction can happen. He deconstructs so that a people could be rebuilt. A people who would genuinely love and worship and serve and obey God. 
Jeremiah's work with the words of God, it's like, it's like clearing out wood rot. He pulls out all that is rotten, all that is false, all that is harmful and destruction. So that a new structure could be put in place. So that truth and goodness and beauty and wisdom could be built in the people of God. And while we find ourselves in a much different historical situation, we still find ourselves in deep need of that work. We are in deep need of the demolishing and constructing work of Jeremiah. The words of God through his prophet in our lives, in our community. You see, we're not prophets. We don't have the unique vocation of Jeremiah. But much of what God says about Jeremiah in verse 5 could be said about God's intention for us, for all of humanity. In fact, that word form is the word that Genesis 2 uses to describe God's creative act as he forms Adam out of the dust of the ground. This is who we were made to be, formed by God, known by Him, consecrated, appointed by Him for His purpose in the world. That's who we truly are. That's who we were truly made to be. But like the people of Jeremiah's day, we live falsely. We live in opposition to this design. And so we desperately need the work of Jeremiah to pull out what is false, what is harmful, what is destructive. You see, we were made for our identity to be built around God, around who He is for us and who we are because we belong to Him. But we build our identities around other things. We build our identities around our own desires, around pleasure, around accomplishment, around reputation, around relationships. And the work of Jeremiah is to pull down all of that falseness so that what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, can be built in us again. The prophet Jeremiah, along with the rest of Scripture, speaks to us of whose we are and who we are because of that. This is going to sound really geeky, but I read an article this week about the history of passports. (laughs) You know, for much of history, the identification happened at the local level. Right? How do I know you are who you say you are? Because our families have lived in the same village for centuries. But with the emergence of the modern world and with the availability of travel, the increase of mobility, that method of identification broke down. If you come from thousands of miles away, I have no way of knowing if you are who you say you are. And so the modern nation state stepped in with paper 
and, and photographs and fingerprints and now microchips. And what that piece of our history raises is the question, who gets to identify us? Who gets to identify us? Who gets to say who you are at the core of your being? What is most true about you? And God hands that vocation to his prophet. The prophet, as he speaks the words of God, tears down the lie of sin. The lie that your identity relies on your accomplishments, on your achievements, on your wealth. And he speaks to us, he builds in us the truth that who we are is ultimately defined by whose we are. Now, the question becomes, as we face this book, is will you open your life to that work? It's what we are talking about when we use the word repentance, which is a word that dominates this book, that in response to the message that comes through Isaiah, the dominant response is repent. To repent is to open your heart, the deepest recesses of who you are, of your desires, of your values, to open them up to God's word, which deconstructs, demolishes all that is false and rebuilds in you what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. Will you open your life to that Work, which is a risky proposition. Right? There's a pot of boiling water here. There, is, there are enormous, frightening threats of judgment here. If we open our lives to this work, how do we know that we won't just be torn down and left in tatters? How do we know if we open our lives to this work that it will end up somewhere good? I think Jeremiah wondered the same thing as he heard this call of God on his life. It was a frightening thing. And we need what Jeremiah needed. Not only his vocation, but God's vision. Verse 11, God asked Jeremiah, what do you see? And what did Jeremiah look around and see? He saw an almond tree, right? And you need to know that the almond tree in Palestine to this day marks the end of winter and the beginning of spring. It is the first plant that flowers. Now we don't feel the power of that image here in Tallahassee because we get color all year long. Uh, But I lived for five years in Ohio, and I can remember the dramatic shift in my mood when I stepped out of the door after a long gray winter and saw that first hint of green. It was as if, yes, all is finally right with the world. 
That's the symbolism of the almond tree. It is a symbol of new beginnings. It is a symbol of new life. And its symbolism doesn't just come from nature. It comes from the story of Israel. There was a particularly dark moment in Israel's history. As they wandered in the desert between Egypt and the promised land. And they were tired of it. They were sick of it. And they were doubting God. And they were doubting God's chosen representative, God's chosen leader, Moses. And there was an all-out rebellion, an armed rebellion against Moses that wanted to kill him and find another leader and find another God. The story ends with the ground opening up and swallowing the leaders of that rebellion. But throughout that dark moment, the tribe of Levi, the family of Levi led by Aaron, stood with Moses. They stood with God's chosen leader against this rebellion. And as a result, God gave to them the privilege of being the priests in Israel. Those who would lead God's people into God's presence. And as a sign of that gift, God caused Aaron's staff to miraculously blossom. With what? With an almond flower. Aaron's staff flowered with almond blossoms. Legitimating his leadership, but also as a sign to God's sinful and wicked people that there was a new beginning. That there was light in the darkness. That there was restoration after judgment. That there was life after death. That is what Jeremiah sees as God sends him with this very dark message. He sees the hope of spring. And you need to know one more thing about almond trees. The word for almond trees in Hebrew is shokade. What does God say right after he shows Jeremiah the almond tree? He says, I will watch over my word to perform it. The word for watch is shakate. Shokate? Shakate. Sounds similar, don't they? The point is, Jeremiah, as you see this plant that sounds like watching, know that God himself accompanies his message. That God watches over His Word in such a way that what He promises, He will accomplish. God doesn't just send out His Word and hope it happens. He attends to His Word and makes sure that it happens. Not only judgment, but restoration after judgment. God's watchfulness over His Word is the watchfulness of a farmer. A farmer doesn't just passively observe his plants, does he? No, he plants and he weeds and he waters and he prunes. That is how God accompanies his message through Jeremiah, through the rest of Scripture. He is attentive. He is at work to plant and to weed and to water and to prune so that the seed of this message will come to full fruition. And that's why we need Jeremiah. 
Because Jeremiah helps us to see God watching over his word. Jeremiah helps us to see God attending to his message so that it will accomplish what he has promised. Jeremiah helps us to look at God looking over us. Looking over all creation, looking over our lives so that destruction will be weeded out and new life will come to fruition. Jeremiah spoke at a very specific moment in history, but he spoke of a pattern that continued beyond his moment in history. And it is a pattern that leads us ultimately to Jesus. Because see, as Jesus died on the cross, God was watching over His Word. The boiling pot of His judgment that we deserved was poured out on the innocent one. God was watching over His Word. He was watching over His Word as Jesus was planted in the tomb. And as He raised Jesus from the dead as the first blossom of a new creation. God was watching over His Word. He was attending to His message. He was attending to His promise that after judgment there would be restoration, there would be renewal, there would be new life. And He continues His watchfulness. Right now. He continues to attend to his message. In your life. If you believe in and belong to Jesus. God is watching over his word in you. The word of death and resurrection. God attends to this message of new life. He plants it in you through the gospel, the message about Jesus, and He will watch over it until it comes to full fruition. The fruition of a new creation of righteousness, of wisdom. God watches over His message in your life. He will take you through winter. He will, through His Word, confront and demolish the lie of sin in your heart and in your life. But always with the certainty of spring. That is why you can open your life to the risky confrontation of Jeremiah. Because spring is certain. Because God will not just tear you down. Because of Jesus, He will build you up. He will restore in you His image. He will make you who He originally made you to be. And Jeremiah helps us to watch God watching. Looking over our lives. Attending to his promises. You see, Jeremiah, he isn't just Debbie Downer. In the end, Jeremiah, he's the Rembrandt of the Bible. Rembrandt was so gifted at using darkness and shadow. 
in order to draw the viewer's eyes to light. That's what Jeremiah does. If we will open ourselves, if we will allow ourselves to enter in and to be owned by His message, yes, He will show us darkness. He will show us the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of this world, but for the sake of directing our eyes to light. Ultimately, the light of God's restoring grace through the gifts of His Son and Spirit. Will you hear? Will you open your heart, open your life to this seemingly dangerous message? So that God can do his work of restoration in you. Let's pray.